Amen. Thank you, team. Would you believe that none of the folks leading worship, or all of them do it uh, as volunteers, just because they believe that God's gifted them in worship and they want to use their gifts to do that? Is that incredible or what? <laughs> Greg Mercer's here. You know, if you wouldn't have said that, that's incredible. Hey, Ron, you were asking about Greg. He's here today. It's good to see you. Yeah, praise the Lord is right. Yeah, we're so glad you're back. For those of you who, uh, who don't know, this is totally spontaneous. Um, Greg had open heart surgery, four bypasses, three bypasses. Sorry, I didn't want to give you one more than you needed. Uh, this happened two weeks ago. Yeah, and, uh, and here he is, wants to be with his church family. That's the kind of church family we have here. Uh, when people are gone, they miss us, and, and, uh, and we've missed you. I'm glad you're back, buddy. You know, we have some wonderful volunteers here. Uh, I, wish I, could take, uh, I wish I could take the rest of our time and tell you about encounters that, I, that I've had with volunteers just in this last week alone. Uh, for those of you who read the weekly newsletter, you know that I'm helping in Awana. Uh, Ashley needed some, some men to help with the... What are they, second and third grade boys? And so I've been doing that. And about three weeks in, I said to Ashley, I'm afraid if you don't get someone in to help me, um, you might be taking out some dead bodies. These boys are out of control. And she said, I just don't have anyone. And I said, I'm going to find someone. And so, uh, and, and so David Streetman, that's right, David's sitting in the back. He just threw, flew me the thumbs up, which means uh, he's cool with me saying this. Uh, he was in there last Wednesday night, and I'm telling you what, incredible and, I, and I've said to him several times, David, I can't just tell you, I mean, I, I just can't communicate how incredible this is and how helpful you were. And he said, you know what? If I can help, I want to help. Those, those, those boys need someone, and I want to be there for them. And, I mean, that's just, that's just one example. We've got, uh, we've got Lloyd, who, who every Sunday is back here, asking if he can get a cup of water for whoever's preaching. And, and it's a small thing, but, it, but he wants to do it. He has a heart to serve. We have some incredible, incredible volunteers here. And uh, there's so many more stories I could tell. Uh, which kind of makes my heart heavy when I, read, when I read about a conversation that happened. This didn't happen here at Beulah. I want to be clear about that. Um, but when I read about a conversation between a children's worker, a children's director, and a, and a volunteer, and, and here's how the conversation went. The, the, the children's director says to the, to the, the volunteer, are, are, are you okay? What, what happened? The volunteer says, um, uh, the, the, there was a parent this morning who, who, who got frustrated because it took, me, it, it took too long to, to check in their child, and, and the parent yelled at me. And, and when she yelled at me, I lost it. I couldn't believe that she was, she was yelling at me. She can't treat me that way. I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid to do this. Like, of course, you can yell at the people who do get paid, but uh, I didn't sign up for this, the volunteer said. And the leader said, I, I'm sorry. You're right. That never should have happened. I'm sorry that she yelled at you. Can I ask you, why did you volunteer to help in the children's ministry? The volunteer said, because the, the leader at our small group told us that there was a need. And, and, and when they presented the need, like our whole small group signed up. And, and so I signed up too. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to help. Everybody else signed up. And, and so I signed up. And, and the leader said, okay, that's fine. But why did you sign up? And she said, well, because everyone else did. And the children's director said, what did you think would happen if you helped out in the children's ministry? And the volunteer said, I thought it would make me feel good to serve and then I would be appreciated. 
Or imagine another conversation between a ministry or between, uh, you know, between a volunteer and, and his wife. The, the husband says, I- I'm going to quit leading my stage design team. And the wife says, oh, no, what, what happened now? Just, just the usual. The worship pastor never likes what, what I suggest. None of my ideas are good enough. He, 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 just, he, he doesn't like the way, the way I do things. I, I don't feel like I matter. And the wife says, well, honey, how long has this been going on? And, and he said, for a while, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. He, he told me he wants to change the way I'm, I'm doing something. I, I don't like his idea. Why is it that the way I want to do it isn't okay? What, is this my ministry or is it? What gives him the right to think he can tell me how to do my ministry? Maybe you've been part of conversations like this. Maybe you've heard them or overheard them. Or, or maybe you've been one of the voices in a conversation like this. Um, did you catch what these conversations had in common? I mean, other than the fact that they were generally sour and, and, and not a pick-me-up for Sunday morning church. All, both of these conversations and conversations that happen like this all the time are very much focused on I and me and mine. These conversations like this aren't necessarily the problem, but they're a symptom of a deeper problem. And I believe that problem is that too many times in the church, we don't know how to gauge where someone is at in their spiritual development. And so when we're looking for help, we take any warm body who's willing and we plug them into any any opportunity, any hole that needs to be filled without concern for if they're ready for this and if, if they're at a point where they should be serving. The, the, the problem is that sometimes we just don't know how to gauge where, where other people are in their spiritual development and perhaps the greater problem is that somehow we don't know how to gauge where, where I am in my own spiritual development. And that becomes a tricky thing to do. So we're walking through this series we've called Grow Up. And the idea is uh, trying to under, better understand how, how Christians mature in our faith. Uh, we're, we're trying to give each of us permission to ask, how spiritually mature am I really? Where am I at in my spiritual development? And so as I've been saying, my, my hope, my goal is that each week you'll be asking this question, am I growing up. Okay, you'll notice, you'll notice the key. Am I growing up? The goal isn't to try to diagnose the person next to you in the pew or that sits across the table from you in Sunday school class. The goal is for each of us to look inside of our own life, to look at the evidence and the fruit and say, am I maturing as a follower of Christ? You see, the reality is that uh, the Christian life is a process Nobody prays a prayer to receive Christ and is instantaneously mature. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very aware of this. That's why often when it talks about the Christian life, it uses metaphors that take time to unfold. It talks about the Christian life like like farming and and planting and harvesting. Uh, It it talks about the Christian life like being training for an athletic competition. It takes time and it takes work and and energy. There's a sense that, that becoming a mature Christian is a process. And if we've prayed a prayer to receive Christ, we're somewhere on the spectrum from um, spiritual infant to spiritual 
parent. And so we've been, we've been looking at how this works and what are some different signposts along the way, some different stages uh, where, where believers tend to pull up and, and, and developmental things happen. Today we're going to look at the stage called child. Now the reality is that it's, it's hard to, like I said, determine where someone is at. Now, with biological children, you can typically tell that they're a child. What are some characteristics of biological children? Just holler them out. Small? You're you're saying things, but but I'm not making them out. We'll we'll say that they're all right. Selfish, I heard. Okay. They're they're typically shorter, um, maybe have a runny nose. Uh, running around chaotic with all kinds of energy to burn. Uh, sometimes their favorite word is no or mine or I don't want to. Of course, we're kind of painted with a, a gray brush there. Um, it's easy to identify biological children. But when it comes to, to spiritual children, it could be difficult to gauge where someone is at. The reality is that the number of years someone has been a Christian does not determine their spiritual maturity. In the 20 years I've been in church ministry, I've seen time and time again that some of the most immature people in their faith are people who've been believers for 60 years. Okay, I'm not demeaning or devaluing anyone, but the number of years between when you prayed a prayer to receive Christ and where we stand today doesn't determine your spiritual maturity. And strangely enough, the, the, the corollary is also true. There have been some people who were very young in their faith in regards to the number of, of years that they were Christians, and yet there was this depth and this spiritual maturity about them. Discerning where someone is at can be difficult because age and, and, and church years don't always determine or give away our spiritual maturity. And so the question is, how do we begin to determine if I am bogged down in this, this child stage? If, if I'm still a follower of Christ, but not quite as mature as maybe I, I could be. Let's talk about some characteristics of children, spiritual children. Children believe things that are inaccurate. Children believe things about God and Jesus and faith and the Bible and church. They're just just not right. They're they're inaccurate. Oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't explain the notes. The notes are a little bit different this week. Are you following along with them? So the front is the circle. We're going to put the wedge that we're working on up here. You can fill in the blanks that we go. And then on the back, uh, we've got, you know, kind of the, the teasing it out a little bit more, the outline. Sorry, I should have explained that up front. Children believe things that are inaccurate. Maybe you've heard children say things like, like these. A Christian should have only one spouse. It's called monotony. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Have you heard things like this before? <laughs> this is, I'll tell you what, after my Awana experience, uh, I, I get this one. The greatest miracle in the Bible, a child once said, was when Joshua told his son to stand still and Joshua's son obeyed him. <laughs> or how about this one? Jesus gave us the golden rule. Do one to another before another does one to you. 
And I like this story. A Sunday school teacher decided that she was going to have her, her Sunday school class memorize the 23rd Psalm, and then when they were ready, recite it in front of the congregation. And, uh, and little Ricky was really excited about doing this, and, and he was working hard on memorizing the 23rd Psalm. He wasn't that great at memorization, and, and he just kept getting tricked, tripped up. He, he couldn't get it. Well, well, the day finally came when the class stood before the congregation to, uh, to recite the 23rd Psalm, and, and, uh, and little Ricky was the leadoff reciter. And so little Ricky steps up to the mic, you know, that was, that was put down and was child size, and he stepped up to the mic, and he said, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. <laughs> you know things like this that kids say are, are funny, especially when they take facts from the Bible and get them a little confused. Uh, they're funny, unless you don't realize that they're not accurate. Or until you realize that there's maybe some people who don't realize that Moses's, or Noah's wife wasn't Joan of Arc. And that Joshua didn't make his son stand still. He did something much easier and made the son stand still. You know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of people who don't know what to understand about the Bible, don't know what to believe, don't understand what's in it. They, they, they've been Christians so little time that there's a lot they haven't learned. Again, that doesn't make, doesn't make spiritual children bad or lesser. It's just a descriptor of where they're at. But then on the other hand, there's people who have been Christians for a number of years, and they know all about the Bible. They could, they could answer any question. They could probably even tell the pastor a thing or two. They've been to every Bible study. They've taken copious notes. I mean, they know things. And yet there's still this sense that they don't know what to do with it. They have all this knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it. In a sense, they're, they're sophomores. And, and, and this can be tricky, too. Spiritual children can be sophomores. The, the word sophomores literally means wise fools. Sorry, 10th graders. Um, but it literally means wise fools. You see, children in the, in the faith sometimes know a lot, but they don't know what to do with it. And so it's like the picture of the person who, uh, who reads Matthew 18 and, 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 and learns what Jesus says, how Jesus said we should deal with, with relational conflict. And then they start taking the Bible and, and, and thumping people with it. You didn't handle this right. You didn't handle this right. We've got to do this the right way. And they totally get what the Bible says, but they totally miss what the Bible means. They don't come at it with a, a heart of love and reconciliation. It's the, it's the person who, who begins to understand what Scripture teaches about the church, the body of Christ, and what it should look like and how it should function. And then they look at their church and go, wow, we're messed up. And they get frustrated, and, and they leave because, because obviously this church doesn't want to be like the Bible says it should be. And then 30 years later, you, you bump into them again, and they've been to every church in town, and they're leaving their church again, to find the perfect church. There can be a sense in which spiritual children, they know a lot, but they don't know how to apply it. They don't know what to do with it. Children serve conditionally. Children serve conditionally. Like the examples that we kind of started the sermon with today, a lot of times spiritual children serve for what they 
can get out of it. And you know, we can get a lot out of our service in the church. It's actually very selfish. The way it makes us feel. We feel good doing this. Uh, uh, There can be a thrill of having authority and control over something. Uh, There can be a lot of encouragement and and oohs and ahs as people realize the good that we're doing and congratulate us for it. Uh, Sometimes people serve to prove to others who they are and what they can do. There's all kinds of I and me and my reasons why people serve in the church. And the reality is with spiritual children, they often don't mind being servants as long as they're not treated like one. So spiritual children's had this sense that I'll serve, I'll gladly jump in and help as, as long as it's easy and I feel good about it and I enjoy it. And, and this isn't new to us. As a matter of fact, we see this example in Scripture. And in Luke chapter 10, there's a great example of, uh, of a woman who, who I believe was serving for all the wrong reasons. She was serving for what she could get out of it. And then she had this conversation with Jesus And things begin, we believe, to shift. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 38. It should be printed on your notes, I believe. But again, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, open it up and find it there. It'd be better to read it out of your own Bible than just off the note sheet. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Verse 41, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you were worried and upset over all these details, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So perhaps you've heard this story, but here we have this woman, Martha, who's close enough to Jesus that he comes into her home for a meal. Now, do you know that there's only about five or six times in the Gospels where it says specifically Jesus went into someone's home for a meal? Can you name any of those other than Martha? Tax collector. An unnamed Pharisee. I think I heard someone say Matthew. Zacchaeus, that's right. There was Simon the leper. There's really, there's really only about a half dozen times. And, and maybe it's there and I missed it. That could be. But I think Martha is the only one where Scripture records Jesus goes into, her, into the house more than once, more than one occasion, on more than one occasion, Jesus is in Mary and Martha's house for a meal and, 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 and what we would call fellowship, hanging out, chilling. So here we have Martha, who apparently has a close relationship with Jesus. And yet in these verses we just read, she's so focused on her service, on what she's doing, and it's not fair. Look how hard I'm working, and no one's saying thank you, and and shouldn't someone come help me? Lord, tell her to come help me. This isn't easy for me. I need help. Me, me, me. And Jesus says, no, no, Martha, you're, you're missing the point. You see, this is a huge characteristic of people who are at the child stage of spiritual development, self focus. 
It's about me and myself and, and I and mine and what I do. And, and you hear this come out. If you listen to the way people talk, you'll hear these things come out. Listen to these, some of these phrases from the stage. I love my small group. Don't add new people to it and mess it up for me. This is my church. Don't change a thing or I might not like it anymore. You know, my small group isn't meeting my needs anymore, so I'm going to look for a new one. I didn't like the music today. I, I wish they'd, they'd do it the way that my favorite group does it. They're not listening to me. So I'm going to get a bunch of people to agree with me, and then they'll have to listen to me. I'm just not being fed here. I'm going to go somewhere else where I'll be fed. Do you hear it? It's all about me and myself and what I'm getting out of it. Now, I want to be careful here. Because as I paint a picture of what spiritual children are like, I don't want you to get the sense that spiritual children are insignificant or unimportant. We're, we're not bashing those who are still growing up in the faith. We've all been there. As a matter of fact, the Bible never, ever takes a negative approach to spiritual children. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. The Bible is very positive about spiritual children. Uh, notice on your, on your notes, or just jump up a few verses from where we're at, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. Luke writes, the 72 returned. What he, what he means here is that, that earlier, Jesus had sent out 36 missions teams. They, they went out in pairs, and they went out uh, with specific instructions on how are they to do ministry, and now they're returning. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And it's kind of like this was their first exposure to doing ministry on their own, and they were overwhelmed. It was so incredible. It was so cool. And what happened? What happened? I just, could, could, you, could you believe that that demon responded when I, when I preached the way I did? Could you believe that person was healed? It was absolutely incredible. Verse 18, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's kind of like Jesus puts his, his hand on their head and said, some pretty cool things happened. But let's remember what's most important here. At that time, Jesus, full of, what does your text say? Full of joy, now, i got to be honest, if this were me, I wouldn't be full of joy. I'd be exasperated. I'd be frustrated. They're missing the point again. I might be a little sarcastic. I might be a lot sarcastic, but not Jesus. He said, full of, full of joy, Jesus said through the Holy Spirit, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus says things like this all over the gospel. I believe to communicate to us that we're not to think less of those who are still growing in their faith. We're not to, to become frustrated and, and disillusioned with them. We're supposed to look at them, I think, as reminders of when we were excited and passionate and gung-ho about our faith. And then we're supposed to help them grow. So they don't get 40 years into their faith journey, but, but find themselves still seated at the, the child table. So if you have a sense that you or maybe, maybe someone who, uh, who you know is, is stuck at this child stage, what do you do? How do you help them move beyond that? 
So as we look at this, this little chart that we're, we're filling in here, this outer purple ring uh, is just one word, a verb, that tells us how do we help people move through this stage to the next. And at the child stage, connect is the key. We want to connect. We want to connect them to God by helping them to know right things. A few weeks ago, as we talked about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, uh, we saw that Jesus' call to all of us includes three main characteristics. Uh, he wants to be our head. He wants to change our head. He wants to change our heart. And he wants to change our hands. And so as we talk about helping children mature in the faith, spiritual children, we want to help them to know the right things about God. We want to make sure that what's in their head is what's supposed to be in their head. The reality is that being a Christian is, is about a lot more than what we know, but we do have to know some things in order to continue to grow up in the faith in the right way. And so, so what, do we, what do we need to know? We, we need to know um, who God is. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we need to know what the Bible really says. I mean, listen, for those of you who have been down the road, you get this. If you're new in your faith journey, understand that if you don't understand who God is, if you don't know who God is, you're going to get stranded. You're not going to be able to make the journey. You need to know that God is the all-powerful, supreme creator of everything, that he holds everything in his hands, that nothing gets to you until it's gone through him. You need to know that he's almighty and victorious, that, that he's one day coming back to judge the world. And in the meantime, he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us live in a way that pleases him. You need to know that he's kind and compassionate, that he's slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiveness. You need to know that he's willing that none should perish, but that all would come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of things about God that you need to know if you're new in your faith, because if you don't know him, you're going to get bogged down, you're going to get stuck, you're going to give up when life happens. And there's some things you need to know about Jesus, uh, specifically about you as a follower of Jesus. You need to know that when you committed your life to Jesus Christ, that you were forgiven, you were justified, and God began his sanctifying work in you, making you holy and into one of his children. You need to know that you're hidden with Jesus in God until your final day. That there's nothing, like I said, that can get to you unless God has given it the green light. That everything that comes your way because you're hidden with Jesus in God comes your way only to mature you and to grow you and to help your roots grow deeper. You need to know that God loves you and accepts you. But he has bigger plans for you than where you're at. He has a goal and a purpose for you. You need to know that who you were before you chose to follow Jesus is not who you are now. You're a new person. God sees you differently. The old is gone and the new is being born. And you need to know that who you are now is not who God expects you to be in five years or in 10 years. He's gonna continue to work. As a matter of fact, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You need to know this if you're a follower of Christ. It's not over. It's not done. God will not give up on you. And you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that your single greatest identity, the truest thing anyone can say about you, is child of God. 
doesn't matter what other labels they put on you. doesn't matter what tags you used to wear before you followed Christ. The things that you struggle with, God wants to give you victory over, but that's not who you are. You are first and foremost child of God. And if you don't know that, you're going to quit and you're going to give up and you're not going to be able to go the distance. And you need to know what the Bible says. You need to truly understand what the Bible teaches. You see, there's a lot of people that think the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves or that cleanliness is next to godliness or, or, or that somehow um, humans came from a process of evolution or that, or that it's okay to, to have aberrant sexual behavior or identity. The Bible doesn't teach any of these things. The Bible doesn't teach that God believes in you because you have some good in your heart. The Bible teaches actually the exact opposite, that, that there is no good in the human heart without Jesus Christ. Some people believe, we call this Disney theology, that it doesn't matter what someone does as long as in the end there's a little bit of good that comes out. You want know those things and many more all lies from the pit of hell. And you need to understand the truth of what Scripture teaches when you're a child or when you're working with someone who's a spiritual child, we need to connect them to God so they know the truth, so they know the right things. And we need to connect them to a healthy family so they can change the right things. Again, being a Christian is about life change. It's about our character becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that doesn't happen alone. It may have been, when I was growing up, I used to watch the old black and white, it was on reruns, but the old black and white TV show, The Lone Ranger, remember that? And, and Tonto, and, and it was really cool, great theme music, these great sound effects, and The Lone Ranger was awesome. But the reality is there is no Lone Ranger in the Christian life. We only grow and become like Jesus as we have others around us helping them, helping us to do that. So we need to connect children with a healthy family, with, with people who can help them to grow. And then we need to connect them to a purpose by helping them learn how to do the right things. Again, being a disciple is about our head. It's about what we know. It's about our heart and how we're changing to become like Jesus. And it's about our hands doing the things that please God for the reasons that honor God. And so we need to help children continue to develop, give them a purpose, help them to know how to do the right things. So the question I've asked you, I've challenged us to be asking is, am I growing up? Am I maturing? Where am I at in my spiritual walk? There's no shame in, in identifying where we're at and then figuring out how to grow from there. So let's talk about a few things that we can do if we find ourselves or we know someone who's in this spiritual child stage. So if this is my stage, first of all, I need to find a spiritual parent or a mentor. We talked about this a little bit last week. Friends, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, I think I'm stuck, or I think I, I have a little bit more growing up to do. Would you help me? Would you mentor me? Would you be my discipler? Would you be my, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we talk about this in the church, but find someone who's more mature than you and ask them to help you grow. That's the most mature thing you can do, is to acknowledge where you're at and ask for help, and there's absolutely no shame in it. And let me just encourage you, if you're considering asking for some kind of spiritual parent or mentor, um, remember a few things. Like I said, biological age or church age 
does not equal spiritual maturity. And so don't just look around for someone who's a few years older than you and and further down the road of life and assume that they can help you grow in Christ. Maybe they can. At the same time, they may be struggling with the same things that you are. And so I would encourage you to to talk to a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a pastor or or someone who's known that person for a while and ask, would that be a good person to mentor me, to disciple me, to to help me continue to grow up? The second thing I would say if, if you're in this spiritual child stage is to connect at church in worship and in a small group. And again, we talked about this last week Matter of fact, both of these points were the same things that we talked about last week for spiritual infants because this is how important relationships are to growth. We need other people around us. We need to connect, not just in a large room like this with people who are a few feet away from us in a pew, but, but we need to be nose-to-nose with people. We need to be in a setting, in a, in a group where people know us and we know the other people in the group. Because that's the only way that maturity comes. That's when we're the body of Christ. And so find somewhere to plug in. I mean, here at Beulah, we have Sunday school classes. We have small groups. You can see in your bulletin, there's an insert of, of small groups where you could plug in. We have Bible studies on Wednesday nights. We've got groups that, that meet to do things throughout the week. And, and if you go larger in our church community, we've got like Bible study fellowship for women, which meets on, on Tuesdays in the community. And, and that'd be a great place to plug in. But find somewhere where you can plug in and be known by people as you know people. But as you do it, remember that all groups aren't created equal. Some groups have different purposes. Some groups are task-oriented and they're, they're goal-oriented and they get together to do things, to use their hands, and that's great, but maybe it's not necessarily for a younger believer to help them grow. I mean, I think of like my, my, my grandma used to be involved in a, in a sewing group at her church, and wonderful group, they did great things, but it wasn't necessarily a grow-up-in-your-faith kind of group. Okay, so keep that in mind. Find a group that will help you grow and if you get in one and you're like, I, this, is, this is great, these are wonderful people, but I don't know that I'm really growing, that's okay, it's okay, you can look for another one, but find a group where you can connect and grow. Many of us, though, in the room, we're past the child stage, we're a little bit further down the road, and so what can, what can we do? Uh, the first thing I would say is become a spiritual parent or a mentor. Remember, we've been saying throughout this series that helping others meet Jesus and grow in Jesus is the point. That's where we're going. That's where we're moving towards. Spiritual maturity is about the people that I'm helping to meet Jesus and grow in Jesus. So if you're no longer a child, it's time to look back over your shoulder and see who you can help grow up. It's time to take what you've learned and what you know, incomplete and imperfect, but that's okay, and help someone else grow up. And then the second way I would like to challenge you if you're no longer a spiritual child is to help your small group be a place where newer Christians can and are growing. Help the small group that you're involved with be a place where newer Christians can and are growing. Again, what's the end game for a mature believer? To help someone else know Jesus and grow in Jesus. 
And you can't do that if there's not room in your small group for someone who's newer in their faith. I would challenge you, if you're further down the road, if you would say, I'm, I'm, I'm not a child, I'm a young adult, or I'm a spiritual parent, make room in your small groups so that people can know Jesus and grow in Jesus. And here's the reality. Children in the faith can't grow in your small group if there's no space. If, if your outlook on your small group is, we've been together for 25 years and it's going great. We don't want to add anyone else in. We've got a great chemistry. It'd just be awkward for everybody. You have to get to know people and the relationships are awkward. Well, that's great. That sounds very Christianese. But people can't grow if you don't have them in your group. You got to make space. You got to be willing to have them there. Sometimes our small groups become confined by space, physical space. And, and listen, Pastor, um, we, we've, got, we've got 10 seats and they're all filled. We don't have room for any more chairs. Praise God that your group is full. Maybe it's time to create some space. Maybe it's time to, to take that group of 10 and divide it into, into two groups of five or a group of six and four so that, so that newer people can connect in your group and begin to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. I know it's hard to do, but we won't see each other. How will we maintain our relationship? Let me remind you that you're no longer a child. It's time to stop thinking like a child. It's not about you and how your small group makes you feel. It's about helping others to grow up in their faith. A few weeks ago, about a month now, we accepted into membership here at Beulah Missionary Church, Mark and Kelly Esch. And I don't believe Mark and Kelly are here today, um, but I did get permission from them. Kelly's here. Hi, Kelly. I did get permission from them to share this. Uh, about a month ago, we, we welcomed them into membership. And then a few weeks after that, uh, we had been announced and we were going to have a, a meeting for the leaders of small groups. So if you're a leader of a small group, we'd like for you to come to this meeting. We're going to talk about how to get these things up and running again in the fall. And, and if you're interested maybe in starting a new group, we'd love to have you there too. And, and so much to my surprise, Mark and Kelly showed up to this meeting. Now, I, I was surprised because, first of all, we had just welcomed them into membership. Um, but secondly, because I knew that they were in a small group here. They're a, we have a lot of great small groups here, and, and, and the small group that, that they're in is one of our, our, our great small And I just couldn't believe that they're thinking about leaving their small group. I'm going, what's, what's the deal here? I was a little confused, but as I had a chance to talk with them, I heard their heart. And they said, Pastor Earl, we love our small group, and we don't want to leave it, but we really, we, we really want to see more people connect. And there's a lot of people like us who are relatively new to the church and, and, uh, and maybe we can help them connect with other Beulah people. Maybe we can help them you know, grow in their faith as we do this. And, and so, so we kind of think we want to start a new group. And, and I was so proud of Mark and Kelly. They went back to their group and, and they said, listen, here's what we want to do. It's not about you guys. We love this group. We're going to miss it. Um, don't take this personally. It's not, a, it's not you, it's us. You know, I mean... It was like the sweetest breakup ever. It wasn't a breakup. Um, they maintained the relationships. They did it as mature believers would. And they said, maybe even some of you would like to come with us and, and help us start this group. But we don't want to take away from this group. We don't want to harm this group. There's some good things happening here. But if you'd like to come with us, that'd be all right. 
And so Mark and Kelly are starting a small group, and, and they did it because they said, you know what, this isn't about us. This is about helping other, people's to, other people to connect and grow. Friends, the reality is if you're, a, if you're in this stage of development, if you're a spiritual child, relationships are the most important thing for you. There's no shame in saying, you know what, I'm still young in my faith. We're all young at some point. We've got to keep growing. And as a church, each of us have to be willing to say, who around me needs to know Jesus and grow in Jesus, and how can I help with that? It takes a church to raise a child. And together, I believe we can do it if we're willing to commit to making it about helping others to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow and pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, uh, for the, the verses we read today from Luke. Uh, it helps to have an example to know that everybody in the Bible didn't have it all together and that, that even, even the heroes of the faith, even the ones that, that walked with Jesus and were so close to him that, that he, he knew the inside of their home. He had, he had refrigerator privileges uh, that even they struggled with growing up in their faith. And, uh, and, and so, Lord, I thank you for that. And then I, I thank you for, for having a, an ear in on the conversation when Jesus, full of joy, praised you for spiritual children and for what they remind us of about faith and our, our Christian walk and for the way that you work in and speak to children. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are young in the faith. There's no doubt that they're, they're following you. They're, they're striving after you. And, and, and they're just young. It's new. Lord, I pray that... Uh, that they would have a desire to take ownership of their spiritual development, and then we as a church would be willing to help them grow. Lord, I pray for more men and women in our congregation who would stand up and say, listen, I understand that God has a higher calling for me, and I'm willing to invest my life in helping others know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Lord, would you, would you continue to move people uh, from being children to young adults to spiritual parents? so that we can continue to help people grow up in faith. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to call us your children and that you have a goal and a plan for us that doesn't allow us to stay a kid forever, but helps us to grow up into Jesus Christ, who is our head. In your name I pray, amen.